the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm so glad you could be here with us today. Uh, I want to remind you all that next week, not this weekend, but next weekend, November 1st and 2nd, we're having our 6th annual Tackling the Text workshop. It's going to be up there in Prescott, Arizona at the Copper Basin Bible Camp. Open for anyone who wants to come as long as you're at least 12 years old. We have lodging, we'll have the food, we'll have the commentary. We'll be working through Hebrews chapters 1 through 7. It's going to be a great time of fellowship and study and food and, you know, just getting out of the city and plugging into the Word of God. And if you're interested in that or when you want to know more about that, I want to encourage you to go to our website, www.tacklingthetext.com, and you can read about the schedule. You can register there. It does cost $50, but that, that's just for the camp use. The five meals that you will be getting in the lodging and the commentary book as well. You'll get all that for that 50 bucks. And so uh, just come on, come on up there. You know, register. You don't have to pay right away. You can pay at the door, but get online, register, let me know you're coming so we can uh, make sure we have plenty of things for everyone who, who comes. Uh, that'd be a great blessing for you to be there, for us to meet with you. You could uh, sit down and talk with Guy Orbison Jr., the, the person who writes the commentary, who will be going over it there with us as well. <coughs> I'll be there, and uh, I'll be emceeing the, the whole event. So again, www.tacklingthetext.com to read more about this workshop. All right. Well, oh, you know what? Actually, I, I just want to, want to talk about... Um, <clears throat> excuse me for the coughing. I want to talk about that fact that Guy Orbson Jr., who's doing the Tackling Text Workshop next weekend, the weekend after that, which is, let me look that up here on my calendar. Apologies. It is November uh, 9th, 10th, and the 11th. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll be having a gospel meeting here at the North Valley Church of Christ up here in Cape Creek. And Brother Guy Orbison Jr. will be presenting that for us. Now, with all that said, let's uh, turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. You're probably driving, so I will read it out loud for you. <clears throat> I'm going to grab a cough drop real quick. Throw that in my mouth. I know that's probably loud. I'm sorry. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseer... Oh, I am wrong. 
this is what I get for kind of rushing things. It's not Philippians 1. I want Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let me start over there. I apologize. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right. <clears throat> Let's start off with this. <clears throat> a city boy who had never been to a farm before asked a farmer once, Mister, why doesn't this cow have any horns? The farmer kind of looked at this city slicker, you could say, and for a moment and just kind of looked back at the, uh, the fence and said, well, Cattle can do a powerful lot of damage to, with their horns. Sometimes we trim them down with hacksaws. Other times we fix up the youngins by putting a couple of drops of acid where their horns would grow in. And still there are other breeds that, of cattle that never grow horns. But the reason this cow doesn't have any horns is because it's a horse. Now you would think a city kid... City Slicker even, would know what a horse looks like and can tell a horse or the difference between a horse and a cow. But you would also think that a Christian would know the difference between true Christianity and what a lot of folks think is Christianity. In our passage, Paul is telling the Philippian church what Christianity should look like. But what he's describing doesn't come naturally to a lot of folks. In fact, there are many in churches throughout the land, throughout the world, who still don't know what true Christianity looks like. They might have some good doctrine. They might have a beautiful building. Maybe they even have a dynamic preacher. But they wouldn't be able to tell a horse from a cow when it came to Christianity. So I want to kind of key in on Philippians chapter 2, verse there where Paul said, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, 
intent on one purpose. Same mind, same love, united spirit, one purpose. That's what Christianity should look like. And when Christians live together like that, there is a powerful atmosphere of joy, excitement, and unity. But too often, Christians don't look like that. There was a congregation in Dallas, Texas that was going through a split and lawsuits were being filed left and right about what to do with the property. The judge said he had nothing to do with this and handed it over to the congregation elders and said, look, you guys need to figure this out. This is their deal. And so they talked about it amongst themselves and they came to the conclusion that the conflict began years before at a little church potluck when a certain elder was served a smaller piece of ham than the child that was seated next to him. Christians sometimes don't behave like Christians, do they? God knew that was going to happen. He knew people would have a hard time living up to that standard. And he knew we'd have difficulty being of one mind and one love. And there's a reason why that's going to be. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, right? Every Christian in church has come out of a sinful mindset. And there are times uh, they have a hard time you know, leaving that sinful character behind. We, in fact, I should say they. We all do. We all do. That's why Paul wrote this stuff in Philippians. If we understand what Paul's telling us here, if we, desi- if we decide to take this prescription, you could say, uh, he sets forth in this passage, then we will be of one mind, we'll have one love, and then we will look like Christians. And when we look at uh, chapter 2 here, verses 3, 4, and 5, where he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interest, personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, selfishness, ambition, and conceit, and looking out for my own interests first, those things, that's what leads to problems within the body of Christ. That's how a horse will end up looking like a cow. Now, I do want us to to notice what Paul's saying here. It's okay to look out for your own interests. That's okay. You, You have to supply for your family. You need to pay your bills, take care of your home, take care of your body, all those different things. But what happens too often, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> what happens too often is that Christians focus mostly on themselves, and other Christians might come into a distant second, if at all. Just to help us understand this, let me tell you this story of a fourth grade class. But, uh, in, this fourth grade class, they had uh, two classes. One was, you know, the normal, I hate to put it this way, well, the kids who did not struggle with learning. And then the second class, fourth grade class, was the mentally handicapped kids. They had a hard time learning. You know, they needed a lot, lot more special attention and help. And they were going to play a game. The first class was the, the class uh, uh, that uh, was uh, moving forward normally. And they decided, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to tie a balloon to your feet or your ankle, 
and you're going to run around stop on everyone else's balloon, and whoever was the last person with the balloon wins. Oh, great idea. The kids were excited about it. They were giggling and laughing. All the balloons got tied. You had the red balloons and the blue balloons. Wait, is that right? Yeah. No, no, they just had, everyone just had a balloon. Sorry. And so they began, they told them, are your marks cassette? Go. And immediately, all the kids started popping each other's balloons. They're stepping on it. Some kids were trying to hug the wall to get away, but they got their uh, uh, balloons popped. Others were laughing and chasing each other. But finally, in the end, one kid won. It was the one kid that no one liked in class because he was the bully, which kind of explains why he won, right? Because he was the bully, and he won. First class flat out. Second class came in. They wanted to play the same game, tied the balloons off the kid's ankles and they said on your marks get set go but it didn't start like the other class did other kids kind of looked around one little girl walked over to one of the little boys she uh, leaned down she held her balloon in place so he could step on it then he held his balloon in place so she could step on his and it kind of went like that all throughout the room until the last very last balloon was left you know got stumped on and popped when all the balloons were popped all the kids in that class cheered because they all won. You see the difference? One class was about the me, the other class was about the we. Now there's nothing wrong with competition, there's nothing wrong with winning, I'm not talk, getting on to you about that, but I like this because it's a good explanation to show the difference to, between how the world does things and how cr things happen in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we all win. We all work together. And if we see it correctly as, as in the one new man, that we're all in the body of Christ, then it's really one body. And we're all working toward the same goal of that body. And that's what we want to win. That body to win, to go move forward. And it will, with you or without. But Paul doesn't stop there. There in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, you know, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, I see a couple of things here. Paul is telling us we all need to copy Jesus. We need the more we become like Jesus, the more we'll all be of the same mind and the same love. And really, you know, if it's all about us getting into a relationship with the Father, with God. And that only happens in Christ. And the more I work on this relationship with God, the more I, I, I strengthen my uh, my faith in Him and I look to Him for everything, the stronger that gets, guess what? the stronger my relationship will be with all my other fellow Christians, as long as they are also working on that relationship with the Father. And it will happen naturally. I won't even have to work at my relationship with you. You won't have to work at your relationship with me. If we are all working on our relationship with God. Here's, here's an example of why that's true. I remember once years ago, I was waiting in a line. I don't know if I was at the DMV or where, but I was waiting in line. And uh, it was a long, I mean, it was, you could tell it was going to be a while. So long, there was another line next to me, and there was a girl who was reading a book. You know, you know, the paperback book. Back then, remember how that works? Paperback books? 
everyone wears it on their phones or otherwise. else. Anyway, she's reading a book, and I'm standing there, and I look over, I see the book, and it's this book series that I know very, very well. And um, I thought, man, I, I love that series. So I mentioned to her, hey, I, I noticed you're reading this book. I read that, too. I love those. And she perked up. You could see how excited she was to talk to somebody else about the books. We don't know each, don't know each other. First time I ever met this lady. And yet we chit-chatted the whole time. The next day we knew we were through the line and done. And, but we just kept on chit-chatting about those books because of our love for the books. Complete strangers. But it was as if we had been long-time friends. Why? Because of similar interest in something. That's how it works in Christ. That's why I, you can go somewhere else in this world and attend a true church of Christ, a church that belongs to Christ, be a Christian, that are a Christian, and you have this family relationship with them even though you don't know them because we are all the same mind, same heart, same love. Another thing I see here from Philippians 2, 6 and 8, 6 through 8, Paul is trying to tell us that it's all about who is in charge at Church, I should uh, you know, in the body. You see, most problems arise when a thinking from that thinking that reminds me of an old Beatles song. Try to see it my way. Maybe you know it. You know, uh, you know that song. Um, we can work it out if you see it my way. I'm right, you're wrong, and if you insist on your way and reject my way, there's a chance that we may fall apart before too long. It's a power struggle issue, a struggle over my right to have my way. And, of course, this whole Jesus thing gets in the way of that, doesn't it? It does. It does. Jesus is God, but he didn't use his godhood as an excuse to be superior, even though he was. Instead, he emptied himself became a servant. And what rights what rights does a servant have? None. Absolutely zero. And he emptied himself of that of that. Oh, wrong page. Sorry. Jesus surrendered surrendered his rights and now he expects us, you and me, to learn how to do the same thing. So if I follow Jesus' example, I will empty myself of my rights, and my major focus will be on helping you get your way. I'll focus on making, uh, well, not really you, I should say, I'm sure I'll be focused on making us, I should say, successful. I'll try to help us meet our dreams and goals here in the body of Christ, which is according to the will of God. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what the Lord did. He took the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and, and being found in human form, he humbles himself to becoming obedient uh, uh, to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is a, that is a true servant. He died. Why? Well, he humbled himself. Why would he humble himself to this death? Because he, he did that so that our guilt and our shame would be removed. He died for us. And now he expects us to die to ourselves as well. 
Rob Fraser wrote a song that went like this. Dead people don't mind the pain. Don't get offended so they never complain. They're not concerned about personal gain. Does that sound like me or you? The truth is rising from the mist, and the word is this. That when Jesus calls a man, he calls him to come and die. He doesn't want you better. He wants you deader. And that's exactly what Jesus said earlier in his ministry, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, when he says, he calls all his disciples to himself, and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our example of how to become servants. He came not to be served, but to serve and to die for us so that we may have our ransom paid and brought home. One of the greatest examples Jesus gives us of servanthood is after he initiates the Lord's Supper in that upper room with his disciples. He goes and he girds himself around the waist with his garment and he takes a, a thing of water and washes the feet of the disciples. That is, that is the job of the lowliest servant in a household. And the reason why is, you know, they, they wore the open-toe shoes back then, right, the sandals. And so when you're walking down the street, the dust is getting in there. You're, you're walking amongst, you know, animal excrement. It's gross. And when you're on traveling and you've been out a lot, it's nasty. It, it's not like it is today. We don't, you know, good hygiene uh, outside. People dump that stuff right outside. So you've you got a lot of gross stuff on your feet and the dirt and the dust and the grime. So having your feet washed was typical and customary. And it was always for the small, least slave. You know, I can almost see myself down there where all the slaves are at when it's time to wash the feet of the, the people upstairs. I can see everyone going, all right, it's your job because you're the newest guy. and You're the, the, the lowest on the totem pole because nobody wants to do that job. And here comes Jesus, God in the flesh. And what does he do? He washes the feet of the disciples. The nastiest, dirtiest, grossest job. And that's nothing compared to what he is going to wash us of when he takes our sins on that cross. That is a servant. Insofar as we imitate Jesus, insofar as we strive to be servants of others, that will be the foundation of the church, being of one mind, one love. But the key thing to remember is that it all starts with me. And it all starts with you. If you and I become an example of servanthood, then we can help others become better servants for Jesus. And the world will take notice. I remember reading a story, and I don't even have to really read a story. I see this happening with my own wife and our children, where... This lady, this young mother, she was in her kitchen cleaning and getting lunch ready. And 
her, her littlest kid, four-year-old kid, just would not leave her alone, you know, always under her feet. I know exactly how that feels. You, you're, you're at the sink, you turn around, and there they are. You're tripping over them, falling over them. They're stepping on your toes. You're stepping on their toes. And they won't go into the living room. Or maybe they're laying down there on the floor all the time. Finally, she uh, said, would you please go into the other room? And he's stepping up on her feet now, trying to hold her hands. And he looks up with this big smile, this young mother, and says, I, I can't. And she said, why not? I'm trying to get work done in here. And he said, well, my Sunday school teacher told me I needed to follow in the steps of Jesus. But I don't know where he's at. And so I'm following yours. Exactly. New Christians, those who are just baptized in Christ, are, they're reading and studying their Bible. they got a long way to go. And the, the best source for them right now is you and me and the attitudes that we are showing them. That young mother learned a va the valuable lesson about being a model for Jesus to her son. And so in that same way as we imitate Jesus, we become role models for others. And ultimately we can help build the church that Jesus put in place to be of one mind and of one love. But it's up to you and me. Now I want to close things out again by reminding you about the workshop up in Prescott, Arizona. Happening not this weekend, but next weekend, November 1st and 2nd. Tackling the Text Workshop. We're studying Hebrews chapters 1 through 7 in depth, in detail. It's going to start Thursday night. We'll have about three lessons. We'll have a dinner. Uh, and then in the morning we'll have a great breakfast. We'll go uh, all morning, then we'll have a lunch, we'll have a little bit of free time, and then that evening we'll finish up Hebrews, we'll have a great dinner, and the food is spared no expense, it's fantastic. There's going to be drinks, there's going to be snacks, there's going to be desserts, everything you could want is going to be there. And the best part of all of this is the fellowship of those who have the same mind, or that we all want the same truth. And we're wanting to know the Word. And we, I want you to be part of that and to see uh, the, the, the unity that we have up there at the, at the camp as we all discuss and talk about God's Word. And in this case, Hebrews chapters 1 through 7, we'll be studying with Guy Orbison Jr. Lord willing, he'll be feeling better and be, uh, be down here for that. He's a little under the weather, but I'm hopeful for, for him to be better by then. And we'll have a commentary we'll be handing out that comes with the, uh, the price of the 50 bucks. So does the food, so does the lodging. And I encourage you all to get on our website, www.tacklingthetext.com. Learn more about that. Feel free to send me an email. You can find that there at the, uh, the website as well. Or you can just go ahead and just register and pay at the door. And uh, please do so. And do so soon as time is running out. Have a blessed day, and remember to redeem the time. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.